Well, I don't know if you know this, but the elementary school playground has really messed up some people's lives. In fact, I would say it is an incredibly brutal environment. What do I mean by that is it doesn't matter where you grew up, what state, what country, maybe country matters, but what state, what city, it doesn't matter if you went to public school or private school, uh, but most likely on every single elementary school playground all around our country, one thing always remains. Everyone goes out for recess. They're excited. The people who are playing basketball go to the basketball court. The people who are playing football go to the field. The people who are playing soccer go to the field. The people who are playing wall ball go over against the wall with their tennis balls to peg each other with them. And they all get in their spots. And then two people stand up and become captains. And the captains began, you're familiar with this, the captains began amassing their child army. In essence, what they began doing is they began kind of looking at the crowd that's whether they're against the wall, whether they're on the bench or on the field, wherever they happen to be, and they're examining the crowd and they're looking for certain things. They're looking for who might be the biggest, the meanest, the baddest, the most athletic, or their friend or one who is popular. And they began building this army calling people off of the wall, off of the field. I'll take that person, I'll take him, I'll take her. Now, if you are someone who was not very athletic, maybe a little introverted or shy, or not the most popular kid, standing on the wall on the elementary school playground has caused you lots of trauma in life. Why? Because no one wants to be picked last. There's nothing worse than being on that wall, being the last person, and they're like, oh, I guess we'll take him. It's like, you didn't pick me. I'm the only one left on the wall. And so what you do is if you know you're that person, you begin to kind of maneuver to make sure that you get picked. You maybe kind of start to bow up to make yourself look a little bigger. You know, you start kind of flexing sometimes when you're not really sure about yourself. You might even step in front of somebody else so there's someone behind you. So when they pick you, they think you're last, but you're really not last. If your friend's already been picked, you might start to kind of do that thing where you, you make eye contact and you're like winking at them or doing the thing where it's like, I see you, you see me, like just something, anything to get them to pick you. Why? Because playground ethics in elementary school, being picked matters. No one wants to be the last one on the wall. Because when you get picked, when you get chosen, it means that someone, that captain number one or that captain number two, they saw something in you. They picked you. They chose you. They found worth and significance and value for that moment of what you would bring to their team. They needed you. You were picked. You were picked. You were picked. And you were chosen. And we all long to be picked. In fact, I would argue that life is nothing more than a large playground where each and every one of us is longing to be picked or chosen or accepted by others. You see, you and I, I don't know if you know this or not, but you and I are acceptance magnets. As human beings, it's, you might think you're not, but as human beings, it is deep within us in our DNA. If you go all the way back to the beginning of creation, before God created anything, those of you that are familiar with the story of Scripture, what you see is the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, together for all of eternity, living in community, living in relationship, living in this, this symbiotic relationship where they feel loved and accepted and known and valued. And you and I as human beings are made in their image, in the image of God. That means that you and I, deeply embedded within the heart of each and every one of us, is a desire for relationship, 
for community, for acceptance, for love and affirmation, to be picked and accepted and chosen. But the problem with this is that just in Genesis chapter 3, those of us that are familiar with the story, Adam and Eve, the very two first human beings, made a pivotal mistake. They, they, they stepped outside of the boundaries that God had for them, and sin entered the world. And the image of God that resides in each and every one of us, Scripture tells us, it is cracked, it is fractured, it is a mirror that is broken. And the image that reflects back from it is not the whole perfect picture that it once was. Instead, it is a shattered and broken image that is less than ideal. And so what happens is you and I, as human beings who are acceptance magnets, deeply embedded with this desire to be picked and chosen, we begin to live that out in the wrong way, searching for affirmation and acceptance from anything and everything. If I'm being honest with you this morning, there are are huge seasons of my life where personally I have spent them longing or searching or desperately wanting acceptance and affirmation. When I was a child, I can remember that so much of my identity, my, my worth, significance, was wrapped up in my sports. It was what sport I happened to be playing in that season and how well I was performing. Was I, was I starting? Was I on varsity? Was I on junior varsity? When I, when I got on the field, when I got on the court, when I got in the game, when I, when I got on the course, what happened? Did I play well? Did the crowd see me? Did they accept me? Did they cheer for me? Did my parents show up? And did they talk to me afterwards about how good of a game it was, how, how proud of me they were in those moments? So much of my identity and my worth and my value was wrapped up in being accepted in my athletic abilities by other people. And then I got older and entered the the workforce and a career, kind of a job. And I remember showing up on the very first day, very vividly remembering I'm the young guy who doesn't have the experience and doesn't have the knowledge. But you can bet I'm going to show up before everyone else and I'm going to leave after everyone else. Because I want these people to look at me one day and say, man, that young guy, he's all right. He's got what it takes. I wanted their acceptance. When I first started preaching on a regular basis, I was preaching to junior high and high school students, obviously the easiest crowd you could ever preach to in the world, right? And I remember I would get done on stage and I would be talking to the students and students would come up to me and they'd be like, man, Adam, wasn't worship so awesome today? And I'm like, yeah, man, they do, they do such a great job. I love our worship team. They are so fabulous. But internally, all I could think was, what did you think about the sermon? What did you think about the message? Was it, was it funny enough? Was it, was it good enough? Did you, did you connect with it? Did, it? did it point you to God? Do you feel closer to him? Do you feel encouraged? Do you feel unconvicted? I just wanted their affirmation. Why? Because deep down inside of me, as a human being, I long for acceptance and affirmation and somebody else to give me worth and value. And I don't don't think across all of our campuses this morning, wherever you happen to be watching, that I'm alone in thinking this. Right, like you, you can start at the most basic level in our 21st century. Why is it that we can post a picture online and it might be this perfect family picture that we took 30 minutes of screaming at the beach to get and we post it and as much as we don't want to admit it, Something inside of us, we feel it when those likes begin to appear. 
They affirmed us. They accepted us. Why is it that we can spend so much time going into our closet where we have rows and rows of clothes, trying on different outfits, coming out, being like, does this look good? Does this look good? Does this look good? Because when we leave the house, we want to look in such a way that others will accept and affirm us. Why is it that we can spend so much energy and devotion and passion into our professional lives, sometimes at the expense of our family lives? Why? Because we, sometimes more than at home, find acceptance and affirmation in our careers that we might not get from our kids and our spouse. Why is it that we can buy so many things we don't really need with money we don't really have to impress people we don't even know? Acceptance, affirmation. Why do some of us stay in really, really bad relationships that we know are habitually bad for us, even when others tell us to get out? Because that person accepts us. We feel known. If you are joining us for the first time today, we are in week two of a series titled Legendary. And what we are doing is through the course of this series, we are taking some time to talk about some of these key biblical figures who lived these legendary lives and did incredible things for the kingdom of God. And what's interesting is we look at each one of these characters, what we recognize is that they didn't do this on their own strength or in their own power. That every single character, every single person, regardless of whether they had only mountaintop moments or their life was full of valley moments, what we recognize is that everything they did that we would label legendary came from their total and absolute surrender and dependence on the person of God and their relationship with him. And so this morning, we're going to look at what I think is one of the biggest acceptance magnet people in scripture that we see, and his name is Jacob. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, you're going to want to turn to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. If you are new to Scripture and you're not sure where to go but you have a Bible with you, just go to the beginning. It's the first book in the Bible and then go to chapter 25. Or you can download the Mount app and follow along with all of our references there as well as the the notes that you can take or you can just kind of watch it on the screen. But while you are turning there, just so we are on the same page, let's get a little context to make sure we understand. Jacob is the guy we're going to look at today. And Jacob's name, if you are taking notes, you might write this down. In the original language, it implies one who is a deceiver or a trickster. And so what we see from the very beginning of Jacob's life is that Jacob is given a label. He's given an identity from someone else. And that label is, Jacob, you're a deceiver. You're a trickster, you're a pretender, you're a poser, you're a fake, you are Jacob. And what's interesting is Jacob is born one of twins. He has a twin brother by the name of Esau. And scripture tells us that when Jacob and Esau are born, Esau comes first and Jacob is kind of right behind him, sort of holding on to the heel. He's chasing after his brother in that moment. And their relationship is skewed from the very beginning. We're told that Esau is this manly man who, who works in the field, who, who hunts game, who whatever it looks like to be a man in ancient times, and he goes out and does these things, and his father, Isaac, loves Esau. Jacob, on the other hand, is a little more clean cut. Jacob is a little more polished. Jacob's not as interested in hunting as he is maybe foraging or something else, and Jacob is loved by his mother, Rebekah. And so let's dive in. In Genesis chapter 25, verse 29, we'll start. 
It says, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. We're going to come back to this in a minute, but just, just know, this kind of comes out of nowhere, right? Like Jacob, Jacob's like, oh, here comes my brother Esau. Esau comes in from hunting, gathering, whatever he happens to do, and he's like, oh, you made stew. I'm so hungry. I'm famished. Give me some of that stew. And Jacob says, sell me your birthright. And listen to how dramatic Esau is in this moment, right? He says, okay, I'm about to die. What good is this birthright to me? Listen, he probably had a meal yesterday. And he's like, I'm going to die. Like, maybe Esau's like a teenager at this point. I don't know. But we just know that he is dramatic. And he's like, I'm going to die. I need this stew, this soup. He says, what good is this birthright to me? So verse 33, Jacob said, swear to me first. Like, no, no, you got to swear to me about this birthright. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. And he ate and drank, then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. So let's, let's pause here for a minute because it matters what's happening in this ancient patriarchal society. And, and, and this time there were kind of two things, two significant moments between the life of a father and his son, his male children. One of these was called the birthright and one of them was called the blessing. The birthright always went to the firstborn. Whichever son was born first was kind of the heir to the birthright. The birthright, because they were the firstborn, the right that they got was the right to the inheritance of their family. In other words, they got all the wealth, all the gold, all the silver. They got all the land. They got all the, the, the places to live. They got all the livestock. Not only that, they got the headship, the leadership of the family, clan, or tribe, whatever words you want to use there. And it was everything, when you think of birthright, think of everything external that the father could pass on to his son. Then there was the blessing. While the birthright was everything external, the wealth of inheritance, and it always went to the firstborn, the blessing went to the, the son that the father chose. He had an option. And the blessing was less external, less inheritance, and more of this internal, emotional bestowing of blessing from the father to the son. It was a, a validation or acceptance in fact, most scholars would say that the blessing from the father to the son that he chose was the most significant emotional and spiritual moment in the life of that son and his relationship with his father. Because in essence, what was happening is the father was looking at all of his children, all of his sons in this moment, and picking one and saying, I choose you. I pick you. I'm going to accept, affirm and validate you. It represented the one he picked off the playground wall. It was who he chose. And so here's this odd scene where Esau, the firstborn of his father, comes back basically from a rough day in the field and trades his birthright for a bowl of soup. Now, I love stew. I love soup. Like you, you give me a nice winter day with some snow and some chili or chicken noodle. I don't know what your favorite soup is. Maybe it's just beef stew. Uh, whatever it is, I love stew and I love soup. But I am not idiotic enough to trade all of my future inheritance for a bowl of soup. Like that's literally what, he came in and he's like, oh, I'm so famished. 
oh, my stomach, I'm so hungry. Uh, give me your birthright. Oh, man, that soup looks so good. I will set aside all of my future wealth, possessions, livestock, family. I will surrender all of that because, oh, that soup looks so good. Really? Esau, you're an idiot. Like, I don't know how nice to say. Like, Esau, why would you trade such future blessing for such immediate momentary fulfillment. And it's very easy to see Esau and say, dude, what's the matter with you? Why would you do this? Why would you make this mistake? But I wonder how many times in our daily lives we so willingly trade the future blessings and promises of God for an immediate appetizing thing now. How many times do we read in scripture where God says, I have this promise for you. This guarantee, this, this, this blessing, this abundant life that is so good and so great. If you will just follow me and do this and stay within the boundaries of creation that I have made for you. And we say, God, I know what you have for me. And one day, maybe that would be great. But right now, I really want this. And what's funny is in this story, both brothers are responsible for this. Esau trades the future wealth an inheritance for the immediate satisfaction of soup. Jacob trades the future plan that God has for his life for the immediate appetizing suppressant now. What about you, church? What's the thing in your life that God has promised? You read it in scripture and you know it. But it is so hard to be faithful because there is some good looking soup and all you want is right now, in this moment. So a couple chapters later after this, in chapter 27, we pick up the story again and so Jacob has the birthright. He has all the future blessing, the inheritance. He has everything that he will need, all the wealth, the success. But man, remember he, he's human and as humans we are acceptance magnets and even in this moment what he has is still not enough there's still this this longing in his heart to be accepted to be chosen to be blessed by his father and so we pick up in this story in genesis chapter 27 where Easter, where isaac the father is, is basically about to die soon and he, and he tells, his, his, he tells Jacob, he says, go into the field and find your brother Esau and bring him back to me so that I may bless him. And so Jacob goes and as he's getting ready to his, his mother and him have a conversation and they decide that they're gonna trick the dying blind father. Instead of going and getting Esau from the field so that he can come get the blessing, Jacob is going to basically dress up and pretend. Remember, his name is trickster or deceiver or pretender or poser. He's going to pretend to be his brother Esau. What does he do? He covers his arms with hair for some reason because his brother was hairy. He makes himself smell like the field, and he brings some game, and he comes to his father who is blind, and he ends up tricking his father into blessing him. And we see this. In Genesis chapter 27, verse 19, look at this. Jacob said to his father, and if you are an underliner or a highlighter or a note taker, write this, I am Esau, your firstborn. Jacob comes to his father and says, Father, Father, it's me, Esau. I have done as you told me. Please set up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. 
And so Jacob gets the blessing of his father, he, and we, we can read through scripture what it says, and he, he blesses him and, and promises abundance on his life, and all these great kind of father-son bonding emotional things, I choose you, I accept you, I bless you, and then as you can imagine, Esau comes back from the field, and he goes to his father, and he's like, father, I'm here for the blessing, and his father's like, I already gave it to somebody else, you don't get it, and Esau gets angry, and he gets frustrated, and this is where I wish this story was different, because what we see in this story is that Jacob tricks his blind father into giving him a blessing and there are no repercussions. There are no punishments. It, there's not even like a, like, Jacob, have a seat. Let's talk about tricking your blind old man. Like this isn't something we can do. That's not how we roll. That's not how we play. This is not nice. There is none of that. In fact, Jacob gets away with it twice. What we see in this story is a guy who was bent with everything in him, all of his energy, all of his passion, all of his devotion was to be life about himself where he got accepted, he got affirmed, he got validated, and he would go through the birthright and the blessing to get it even at the expense of others. I don't know about you, but doesn't that seem like our culture sometimes? Kind of 21st century American culture, the American dream. That the people who fake it, the people who pretend, the people who lie, the people who cheat, the people who deceive, they're the ones that get ahead in life. They're the ones that get the blessing. They're the ones that get accepted and affirmed by others. They're the ones that people look up to. We're told, fake it till you make it. Deceive, trick, pretend. Do whatever it takes to get the blessing and the acceptance of others. And I think on some level, subconsciously, whether we intended it to be that way, but because we are living as broken, fallen people in a sinful world that, that, that saturates our minds and our thoughts, and on some level or another, we become like Jacob or we pretend so that others will accept us. We begin pretending so that others will. Jacob literally dressed up and pretend to be someone he would not. And while not many of us might be doing that, we still put on these masks or this image in front of us, this version of ourselves that we want to publicly show so that we will be accepted by people, so that we will get the promotion or so that X, Y, or Z will happen in our lives because the people who pretend, the people who have it together, the people whose image is perfect, they're the ones that get accepted and find worth and aren't stuck on the wall their whole lives. If we back to our story, we find that Jacob is kind of forced to leave. His brother gets so angry at him that Jacob says, you know what, even though I have the birthright, even though I'm in charge now, it's probably safer for me to get out of here and spend some time away from my home country and to go somewhere else. And so Jacob disappears, and you can read this uh, for yourself in Genesis chapter 28, 29, 30, 31, and 32. He goes to this other place, and he has this weird exchange with this guy where it's, it's this deal over wives that takes about 14 years for him to finally get to the place where Jacob, after 14 years, decides it's time for me to go back home and confront my brother. And so to Jacob, in order to appease the, the anger of his brother... He, we see this interesting part in scripture in Genesis 32 where Jacob tells all the, the traveling party with him bringing gifts, hey, you guys go ahead and go and go find Esau. I'm gonna hang back and I'm gonna camp here for the night. And then this, this interesting moment in scripture happens when Jacob is there kind of camping back away from everyone else, spending time kind of out in the wilderness, out in this alone moment. And in the middle of the night, this strange thing happens. And listen to this in Genesis 32, verse 24 and 26. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. 
When that man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Like, like out of nowhere, Jacob's like, okay, you guys go, get, you know, kind of like appease Esau, I'm gonna stay back. And then we're just told out of nowhere in scripture, Jacob begins wrestling with a man. And what we find out is this man, Jacob's gonna tell us in a little bit, so I'm gonna go ahead and spoil it. This man is actually God, right? It's God kind of in this, in this form, this theophany is what scholars would call it. God shows up and he begins wrestling with Jacob. And at some point during their wrestling, they're, they're, they're wrestling, they're wrestling, they're wrestling, and it's the same wrestling match that Jacob has been involved in for his entire life. Desperately, what does he say? Bless me. He has all the wealth, all the inheritance, all the property, all the livestock, the family leadership. He got the blessing of his father, the emotional validation and acceptance of the human being that he thought would complete him. And he desperately has everything he wants, but even all of those things are still not enough. The story of Jacob is this beautifully tragic picture of what happens when a person can have everything and still be missing everything. I'm gonna repeat that in case you didn't hear it because maybe it applies to you. The story of Jacob is a beautifully tragic story of what can happen when you have everything and can still be missing everything. In this moment, Jacob looks at God and he says, God, bless me, please, accept me. For my entire life, I have sought the approval and the blessing and the acceptance of people. I thought the birthright, I thought the wealth, the possessions, and the power, I thought all of these things would fill this hole that exists in my life that was making me feel incomplete, but yet it did not. And so then I got the, the blessing of my father, and I thought that the human man in my life who was most significant and had power, when he affirmed me, when he accepted me, it would give me worth and value and acceptance, and I thought that that affirmation would make me whole, but still I feel incomplete. So God, please bless me, pick me, choose me, affirm me. I think there's a little bit of Jacob in us all. God, I've done everything I can to make other people accept me. I, I've done everything I can to pretend to be someone I'm not. I've tried desperately to make my look, life look better than it really is. Uh, I thought I had the, the right house, the right car, the right job, the right kids, the right school, the right friends, the right image. But yet, even when I do all of these things, even when I strive hard and hard and hard, no matter what, it still feels like something is missing. Church. You'll never feel complete until you rest in the acceptance and blessing of God. You will never feel complete until you rest in the acceptance and blessing of God. You can spend your entire life chasing the acceptance and blessings of others and it will never be enough. There will always be something missing because the thing that is missing is the blessing of your father. Back to our story. So Jacob, Jacob's wrestling with God. And scripture just has some weird moments, right? As if it's not weird enough that he's wrestling with God. And then verse 27a, look what happens. The man asked him, what's your name? <laughs> Maybe you guys, this humor is not quite a lot. Like they've been wrestling through the night. 
God has already broken his hip. So Jacob's like, oh, my hip's broken. And God's like, whoa, time out, time out, time out. What's your name, bro? Like, Jacob's probably like, seriously, that's what we're gonna do right now? We couldn't shake hands first, high five later. You're just gonna in the middle of this fight after you break my hip. Like, by the way, what's your name? I need to know who I'm whipping, right? Or like, like the fact that Jacob knows it's God, God knows his name. Like God is creator of everything. God's not asking this question being like, maybe I'm wrestling the wrong dude. Let me just double check. I don't wanna break the wrong guy's hip because now I get to perform some sort of miracle. Are you Jacob? No, like he knows who he is. He knows he is Jacob. He knows the entire history of his life. Every thought, decision, and action that Jacob has made that has led him up to this moment. But God still says, Jacob, or he says, what's your name? And it is the very same question that 21 years before Jacob's father asked him, what's your name? But 21 years before he said, I am Esau. 21 years before he pretended, he tricked, he deceived, he wasn't honest. Does God know who Jacob is? Yes, absolutely. He knew his reputation. He knew everything about him. But it's as if in this moment, God is saying, I know who you've pretended to be, but who are you really? Why? Because God understands the power of confession. God understands there's power when we name our sin. When we name the identity that has been put on us, maybe from other people. And listen to this, with all the, the rawness he has, it's as if Jacob sort of shouts to God and he says, I am Jacob. My name is deceiver, liar, pretender, trickster. And it's when he admits this, when he admits who he is, look at what happens in verse 28. God says, you will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then what did God do to Jacob? He blessed him there. So Jacob called this place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Verse 31, the sun, arose him, or the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his limp. Don't miss this. It is not until Jacob confessed who he was, that God gave him a new name. In fact, I would argue that you might wanna write this down, God won't bless who you pretend to be. God won't bless, God won't bless Jacob dressed like Esau. He will bless Jacob who's honest about being Jacob. And some of you, you have spent your entire life pretending to be something you are not, making this image, this projection, this thing that hopefully will get you the blessings and the acceptance of others, but the whole time you are wondering, why don't I, I feel God? Why is there this hole in my life? Because God won't bless who you pretend to be. God won't bless you when you are dressed up like someone else. He will bless you when you have a moment where he says, what is your name? And you tell him, this is who I am. And here's the grace, the, the gospel, the good news, the beauty of all of this. 
is that from this point forward, Jacob is no longer identified by his past actions, his past struggles, or his past thoughts. No, he is identified by God. He gets a new name, a new identity. He goes from trickster and deceiver to one who is triumphant with God. Jacob didn't deserve to be picked, chosen, and blessed. But God did. And there's this beautiful picture of Jacob who used to be this deceiver, who used to want all of the blessings and the acceptance for himself. And there's this beautiful picture of Jacob years later, we told in Hebrews chapter 11, when it describes Jacob like this. It says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff And what you see in scripture is this picture where there's this old Jacob named Israel and he's got this staff and the guy who used to want all the blessings and acceptance for him, he's leaning on it, worshiping, blessing the sons as they walk by. And you can imagine, just imagine that moment for Jacob, reflecting back on that very night when he wrestled God and got that injury and has to have a cane ever since. You see, I think some of us, we think that in life, this idea of getting close to God, wrestling with God and becoming more like his son, more like the image of Christ are the easy mountain moments. But for Jacob, the struggle to follow God resulted in a wound for the rest of his life. But even with that wound, he worshiped. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know right now how much of your life is spent impressing others, getting their acceptance, their validation. But I know this. Jacob would tell you Walking with a limp for the rest of my life, but having the blessing and validation of God was better than running without him. Maybe. Maybe for you, what you need today is to recognize everything you want is found in God. Him and him alone. Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful for your word, for the way you use these these broken, sinful men through the history to point us to you. God, I confess first and foremost that I am a broken, sinful person who left in my own makes life all about me, but because of your son, Jesus, I am a new person, a new creation, and you are molding me every single day more and more to your image, and I welcome the broken hip moments, the canes, the limps, and all of those things that lead me to you. Maybe you're here this morning as we continue praying, and if you were being kind of honest, a moment of vulnerability and transparency, you would say that there is an area of your life or a season of your life where you are pretending in order to get accepted. 
And you feel the weight of that, the baggage and the burden of carrying you not being who you really are. Can I just, if that's you this morning, whether you believe in Jesus or not, I would love to pray with you. In this moment, if that's you, you just find an area of your life or a season where you're pretending or trying to be something you are not and putting up this image, this display of fakeness, this deceiving, this trickster, and you just want to admit that like God, like Jacob did to God, would you just boldly, whatever campus you were at, slip up your hand in this moment? I see your hands. If your hand is raised, I'm going to do something a little different. I want you to look up at me for a second. I know it's a lot. Pretending is hard. I just want to speak a little encouragement over you. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, and I'm going to paraphrase it. Jesus Christ picked you. He chose you. Even in the midst of your sin. Because God loves you that much. You don't have to pretend. God loves you for who you are. And he accepts you. Does that mean he wants you to stay the same? Absolutely not. But he still loves you and accepts you. Father, I pray for every hand that was raised that they would live that out. Knowing that they have been chosen by you. Accepted by you. Loved by you. God, would you be our everything? As we continue praying in this moment, maybe you're here today and you would say, I don't, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. If I'm being honest, my life is all about me. It's all about what makes me feel good, what makes me feel happy. Maybe I, I resonate with Jacob like Jacob did for the first 30-something years of his life where it was about stuff and things and my own emotional needs and wants and those sort of things. Let me just tell you that you can continue living that way for the rest of your life, but I promise you, I guarantee you, you will continue to feel the misery and the miserableness that you feel right now when you are honest with yourselves. And the only way to get rid of that feeling is to let someone else. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for you, for your selfishness, for your sins, so that you could live an abundant life through his power and his strength if you turn to him. If you're here this morning and you wanna make that decision for the very first time, the biggest decision you will ever make in your life, whether you are at physical campuses or online, would you just respond by raising your hand so we know, Jesus, I need you to be my king, to be my Lord. I surrender my life to you. Slip up your hand. If your hand is up, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Father, I am a sinner. I need your love. Jesus, come into my life. Make me new. Be my king. Be my savior. Today I turn, I repent, and I run to you and your grace. Jesus, I love you. Amen.